What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord today, just lifting up the name of Jesus. I, I, I was visiting with the, the kids in the first service during Sermon in the Sack, and we had an item that they brought. Well, it was a Lego, a Lego dragon, I think. And, and so I asked the kids, understanding that there's many parts in this Lego object, and that the body of Christ has many parts in it. And I asked one little kid, I was asking them, you know, what they want to be for Jesus. And, and one kid says, I want to be a ninja warrior for Jesus. <laughs> and I said, how are you going to do that? How are you going to be a ninja warrior? He says, well, I'm going to stop and read the Bible once in a while. <laughs> and I thought that was so cute, you know, that he took, ah, this is how I'm going to serve Jesus. But anyhow, I think it's a good question that we can ask ourselves. I mean, how are we going to serve Jesus? How are we going to bring glory to the kingdom of God with our, our lives? Amen. So, so our spiritual life matters. I, I was moved by a very grisly and horrific picture that was described by a pastor who's a editor of a magazine, a Christian magazine. And he talked about being on the mission field and while on the mission field that, that he had been a witness of this, this grisly, horrific sight. And it was in a third world country and the, the country is war torn. And of course it was, you know, it was bad circumstances. And out there in the midst of this and all the buildings that had been hit and broken and destroyed, there was this mother that was there kind of in the field and amidst the debris. And she was pushing her, her three-year-old little child in, in a swing. And she was just pushing her three-year-old child in a swing. Pushing her three-year-old little child in a swing. And some had said that she had been pushing this little child for three hours. And she, she was just pushing her child. And, and the horrific picture is the fact that that her child was dead and had been dead. And she's just not believing that possibly could be true. And she's just pushing her child until some people came along and, and helped her. And they carried the body of her little, her little child, three-year-old child away. And, and I, I think sometimes that our spiritual life is exactly like that. That sometimes we're just kind of trying to push it along. And we're trying to make some action. Something happened in life. And, and while along, all along, our, our spiritual life is absolutely dead. You see, that's, that's, the, that's the, the business, what the enemy is in. He, he wants us to not have belief. He wants us to have unbelief. In fact, he wants us to not believe in, in, in Jesus Christ. He wants us to not have faith. He wants us to not have hope that there's eternal life and everlasting life. You see, that's how the enemy deals. He, he deals in the business of unbelief. In fact, when I think about the power of unbelief, I mean, bear with me for just a moment. When I think about the power of unbelief, I absolutely shudder. Because it blurs the obvious, it blinds the truth. In fact, we go to scripture and we learn all kinds of, of things about unbelief. I mean, think about it, it was unbelief that, that it got a hold of Eve in the Garden of Eden. And, and God had told her this is a tree of, of good and evil and you're not to partake of it. And, and, and she did not believe God. And because of unbelief, she partook of the tree that she should not have taken. Of, and it affected all of mankind. And we call it the fall of mankind because of unbelief. We remember, of course, Noah. 
as he was telling, he was giving the message and preaching the message that the rains were coming, that the water was coming. And, and he was trying to convince all of mankind, you got to get on the ark. And, and yet what happened is because of unbelief, they did not get on the ark and they lost their life because of unbelief. I, I think of Israel that refused to believe God and wandered in the desert for 40 years because they just had no belief. And then I think of the rich young ruler that refused to believe in the words of Jesus Christ there in the New Testament. And he absolutely misses heaven because of unbelief. He just had no belief. And then we find ourselves in this passage, in this passage this morning, Mark chapter nine. If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn there with me this morning. We go to Mark chapter nine and we're going to look at verse 14 and we're going to read down through verse 24. And as we we read the passage, we'll see that there is this underlying this underlying idea or this underlying truth that Jesus is trying to get at, and that is the idea of unbelief. And he's concerned about it. In fact, let's read this together again. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So you can imagine what's happening here during this big discussion. Debates happening. Now, Jesus is showing up. He's on the scene now. And you can imagine Jesus had done some pretty great things. I mean, miracles had happened. And so word had gotten out that Jesus was somebody. Maybe they were not too sure who he was, but they knew that he was somebody. I mean, something spiritual was happening, right? And so now there's this movement. They're rushing towards Jesus. He's arrived on the scene. And then he says this. He says, what are you arguing with them about? This is verse uh, verse 16. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And then look at his response. Remember the underlying idea that he's trying to get at. I mean, the issue that he's wanting to address. Look at the the response there. He says, you unbelieving generation. You unbelieving generation. So he's talking about this idea, this danger, church, of unbelief. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. You can imagine. He fell, on, he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything... If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. It's interesting. Again, Jesus cannot believe this father's response. I mean, it it was what? It was unbelief because he says, if you can, Jesus responds, if you can, said Jesus. And then here it is. Everything is possible for one who believes. I love that. Everything, church, everything, teenager, everything is possible For one who believes immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Let's pray. Precious father in heaven. I thank you for the word today. I thank you, father, that you are Lord. You're drawing us unto yourself. I know that father, that you're you're drawing us ever closer to 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 you and who you are and 
and what it means to have a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that that as we look at the word this morning, that that these words would just lift up off the page and they'd have life and they'd come alive in each one of us. And and that, Father, that that our unbelief, our unbelief will become belief. I pray that, Father in heaven, that, Lord, that that if there is a heart that is hardened this morning, that that heart will be softened. I pray for the spirit that is broken. We kind of sang about that a little bit in our choruses. For that spirit that is broken, that they'll experience the amazing grace of a God that, that loves us, that created us and made us special in your eyes. And that we have value because you value us, God. I pray, Lord, that that one, that young man or that young woman would discover that amazing grace for themselves. I thank you, God, for that. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us this capacity to have faith. I thank you if you created us special like that and that we can have belief. And so, Father, we pray as this Father prays, help us with our unbelief. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name and all God's people said, Amen. I am blown away as I visited a camp with a more ministry on Friday, Friday morning. In fact, uh, uh, Van Erhard, one of the members of our church, he was in the first service. He, he called me, Pastor, you want to go down to the campground for more ministries? And I don't know how many of you are familiar. How many are familiar with more ministries? Raise your hand. I mean, most of us understand that. In fact, one of the, the team members in the very beginning of the ministry attends this church, Steve Horrocks. You know that. I mean, it's a spectacular ministry. And so I went with Van. It was the first time to going down to Mexico. And I rode with him across the border, had my passport with me. And, and I went down to the campground. And, and, uh, and I, I looked at, you know, I looked at the campground. I mean, I, I just kind of spied things. I looked things over. And I was blown away by all that I saw. I mean, over here there was a stack of rows and stacks of, of about 60 wheelbarrows over here. And then up on a storage unit there was a stack and a row of wheelbarrows of about 30 wheelbarrows over there. And then there was all kinds of forms for concrete and for building. And there was all kinds of storage units. And this was on like 25 acres. And then there were sections of the land that was kind of, you know... Uh, cartooned off with, with lines and, and then there's the space where people could put up their tents and there's this great big tent where they could worship under and another great big tent where they could worship under and I was blown away that all this had unfolded because several years ago there was a man that worked with Steve and Steve worked with the man and they believed that God was going to do something at that campground. And in fact, as I, I thought about that, I'm looking at the campground, I, I'm thinking, I wonder how much of this would have been here if they had not believed. I mean, how much of this campground, and, and then of course there's churches that they've built, not only there, but in South America and in Africa and all over the world, ministry is happening in more ministries because these men believed that God wanted to do something. I'm wondering how big would have that campground been if they had unbelief? I'm wondering how much unbelief would have shrunk that that vision down and that campground down about how much that God could have done if they had unbelief. Because if, if they had no belief that God was going to do something, it would be very likely that, that nothing would happen in those areas that ministry is happening. Amen. I was blown away when a man by the name of Davidson Pierre came to my office. I was pastoring in Florida and Davidson Pierre grew up in Haiti. He, he, is a, he is a professor at two universities today, and that may not sound very impressive until you learn that, that Davidson Pierre grew up as an orphan on the streets of Port-au-Prince. 
You ever been to Port-au-Prince? I mean, it's third world. I mean, it, it, it is, folks, it, it is rough. I mean, it is, it is poverty stricken. It is rough. And he grew up as an orphan and, and some missionaries saw potential in him and they nurtured him and he began to follow Jesus. He came to America and got his education and now he's a professor at two different universities. I mean, he's an awesome man. I was humbled and blown away when he came into my office and he said, Pastor, he said, I have a vision. I want to go back to my people. I want to make an impact. And there's this place up in the mountain called Hinch, Haiti, which is about 38 miles from Port-au-Prince. And when we got there, I flew with him, just with Davidson and I, just he and I. And we flew into Port-au-Prince. And, and to go 38 miles, it took us three hours driving to get up in the mountains. It was so rough. It took us three hours just to go 38 miles. And, and then he showed me this area. And, and there was this kind of a field where families were, were gathered for some education. And people were living under trees in little shacks. And, and I'll never forget as children gathered around me, much like they did on the stage today, much like that age. And they gathered around me. And I could see in their faces as they were asking for money and help that they had not had a meal in three days. Talk about pulling at your heartstrings. And then uh, I, I viewed the thing and, and, and was watching everything was going on. We went back to the States and Davidson said, I want to start a school. I want to start a Nazarene church. And, and we began to believe that maybe God was doing something, that God was stirring our heart deeply. And so what happened is we began to work at it. We presented it to the church and, and we began to dream about it. And people began to help and give money. And ladies and gentlemen, today I just got a phone call. There are now 175 students enrolled in that school. We've built three buildings. There's a Nazarene church there. There are six teachers. There is a full-time pastor. And my call was to tell me that somebody just gave $100,000 to build a new cement block building for the church and the school. Hallelujah! All because somebody believed. Oh, Lord, help me Help us with our unbelief. I wonder how many people are not sitting here with us this morning because of our unbelief. Because we did not believe that we could speak Jesus name or we did not believe that we could share our own testimony with somebody because we believed, oh, we're just going to let it rub off. We're not going to really invite anybody because, you know, if I can just live Christian enough and spiritual enough, then somebody will tap me on the shoulder and say, I want to go to church with you folks. There is not a greater lie that the enemy is trying to sell us than the fact is that our faith is just going to rub off. Oh, Lord, help us with our unbelief. Help us with our unbelief. How can we be mobilized as the church of Jesus Christ if we do not have belief? Amen. What would have happened if Davidson, Davidson Pierre had unbelief? And there would be no school. There would not be 175 students receiving a hot meal at noontime every day of the week. That would not be happening if, it, if he would have followed unbelief. It would not be happening. And those kids would not be meeting Jesus if he had followed unbelief. And so I asked the question, what, what are we to do? I love what Soren Kierkegaard writes. He says, it is so hard to believe. Listen to this. He says, it is so hard to believe because it is so hard to obey. It is so hard to believe because it's so hard to obey. Notice in the passage here, I mean, go back to the passage. It, it opens up with so much like us humans today. I mean, in the passage, they're racing towards and they're running towards the truth. 
you know, to, to hear what it is, you know, that Jesus is saying or Jesus is doing. But then notice that when the truth strikes uncomfortably close, that they pull back. They pause. I mean, here in the passage, the disciples were trapped in arguing about truth rather than living out their faith in truth. And so Jesus comes up and what happens? Bam! He says, here's how you live your faith out. It's not in your your philosophizing or your theologizing or, or processing, thinking and talking. Man, it's about doing. Amen. It's about doing. And I love to see Steve and April. They've been on the mission field. It's about doing. It's about doing the ministry of of Jesus Christ for God's glory. And, And when we do the opposite, what happens is, you see, the enemy, the enemy robs us of things. In fact, go back to the passage. Look at verse Verse 17. Yeah. Look at the verse 17. What was this this young boy that was demon possessed? What was he being robbed of? It says that he was being robbed of of his speech. You see, the enemy was robbing him of his speech. I wonder what is the enemy robbing you of? What is the enemy robbing you of? I mean, what family is not impacted because the enemy's convinced you that you can have no impact? Or the enemy's convinced you that you have no testimony? Or that you cannot share? Or, or whatever the case may be. I, I wonder what it is that the enemy has, has taken from you. It, it's really interesting. I mean, because in the passage here, we see the crisis, what I want to call the crisis of the power of evil. And what we have is we have evil present there in the demon there in the physical body of the boy. And then we have, of course, God that's in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And then we have at that apex this encounter here, which is the evil and the holiness of God. And we see that in the story. Jesus healing the boy that is suffering from an unclean spirit. We see what appears to be Jesus rejecting the debating and the discussing and the intellectualizing and all that. But he's embracing the physical reality of encounter of God himself through physical, spiritual action and faith in him. Amen. And in fact, in one one passage in the Oxford Annotated Bible, Jesus statement is that potent faith comes from Prayer and fasting as contrasted with the intellectualizing or the philosophizing of maybe how we should go about something versus having faith and just going about it. Why? Because God has called us to go about it. I'm thinking about Davidson Pierre. I mean, what if Davidson, as he came to me and said, Pastor, I believe that we can have a church and a school up in an area where kids are literally starving to death. What if he would have logically followed some thought process that you know, told him that we did not have the money available because the fact was we had zero available to us. But because he had faith, he had belief, and all of a sudden that belief, there was this response from the congregation and people in other congregations, and all of a sudden in that faith and in that belief, God began to do something that only God could do. Amen. You see, Jesus was dealing with this. In fact, in this society, the ethos of the society was dark and stark in contrast to to ones that had faith in God. A society in that Hellenistic time when the world was all about the intellectualism of reasoning and and thinking and all of that. And, And, of course, what happens in that, Jesus knows, is the subtle power of unbelief begins to take root and begins to steal away what it is that God might want to do through us, what God might want to do through you. So we're thinking about, I mean, just a little bit here, think about the the truth of God's word. 
Is the truth of God's word, is it, is it just in the overarching ideas that the word of God gives us? You know, like God is love or or is the truth in God's word literally in the verse and in the individual verses that we read and we are true to those verses because that's what the truth is. God teaches us as truth. You say, well, it's in the overarching truth of God's word that we see the themes. I mean, that that that, that we are to love or that God is love. How many agree with that, that God is love? And so we can agree with that overarching truth that God is love. But but what if. When we buy that, that God is love and we leave out, you see, part of the scripture that tells us also that love is accountability and that love is about conviction sometimes. What if we ignore the fact that there is this truth about the love of God that also is a tough love? You say, well, pastor, what do you mean by tough love? Somebody tell me, what is tough love? I mean, even from a Christian perspective, what is tough love? Just a couple of you say out loud and individually. What is tough love? How would you define that? Okay, discipline. We got discipline. What else? Honestly, tough love is honesty. That's hard sometimes. What else is tough love? Somebody. Understanding that our decisions has consequences. And so we find that, that in, in the experience of God's word, which is living, we find that there is a tough love, not just an overarching love that says that we're going to tolerate or be tolerant about everything. But there's also the dynamic that our decisions have consequences and that there is honesty that is required of us. There is accountability that God is calling us to. And we do that out of the love that we have for for God's people. Amen. And so we recognize that this is how we we come to sometimes conclusions, maybe that are more human driven conclusions rather than conclusions that are given to us by the word of God. And we need to be careful. So I have a couple of thoughts this morning I want to share with you. The first is this, as you fill in the blanks, there, the first is belief means identifying your unbelief. Say that with me. Belief means identifying your unbelief. I love this statement. The opposite of joy is not the lack of joy. It's unbelief. Let me say that again. The opposite of joy is not the lack of joy. It is unbelief. It is unbelief. It is having nothing to believe in and nothing to have hope in. Nothing that leads us into that hopeful future that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, the enemy does not have to get you to serve him. He just has to convince you to not believe. To not have faith and not to to believe that God wants to do something in your life. That God wants to do something in your family. And he wants to do something in our church. Just to get you to not believe that God wants to do something. I mean, the enemy would love for us to to, to dwell there first. To just kind of hang right there in that space. to, To embrace this idea that, okay, you know, as long as I'm just, you know, loving God, that's all that matters. Not believing that God wants to do anything. God calls us to more than that. And I, I believe that with all, with all my heart. So belief means identifying your unbelief. Now, how do we identify belief? How do we identify truth? Well, look at, look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. If you have God's word, let's look at that for a moment. Let's turn there together. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, looking at verse 14. Because it identifies the person in one translation that is 
that is in a natural state or the natural person, as one translation would say. But in the NIV, we read it like this. The person without the spirit. Again, this is first Corinthians 214. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So how can we understand spiritual things? How can we interpret and respond, you know, rightly if we are not in, you know, interpreting through the Holy Spirit? I mean, how can we really make good decisions and respond to the call of God in our life, in our ministry, in our family and our church without the spirit of God? You see, this, the scripture teaches us this. In Romans chapter 8, look at verse 7. Romans chapter 8, verse 7. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we read, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Why? Because it's set on the flesh. It's the mind that is set on the flesh rather than on the spirit of God. And so it is hostile to God's will. So having belief means we identify our fleshly nature to not believe, to not have faith. Identifying our unbelief begins in understanding human nature of depravity. And that human depravity is it shows man as, of course, being sinful in every inclination from the beginning. Why? Because of the fall of, of mankind, because of, of Adam and Eve. And we understand that, that, that Eve did not believe. She had unbelief. She did not believe what God said when he said, do not partake of the tree of good and evil. So she partakes of it. And then, of course, what happens is there is this, 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 this carnal nature that enters into man and we call it inbred sin. We don't like to talk about that a lot. But then there's also personal sin and that is the action and the deeds of doing things that are disobedient and against God's will for our life. So why am I saying that? Because it limits the potential of the mission that God has for our life. That, that sin limits the potential. So what's our responsibility? To come to God, to confess our sin, to, to allow him to work you know, in our hearts and to set us free from that inbred sin that dwells in us. I remember as a, a father, and I shared this one other time, as a father, when we went to the eye doctor to pick up some glasses for our three-year-old little son, uh, he had really poor vision, really legally blind, and we put the glasses on him, cute little glasses, we put the glasses on our son, and he looked up in the sky and said, Daddy, what are those white things? He had never seen clouds before. And, and with those glasses of faith, so to speak, all of a sudden, there was this vision that opened up to him. You see, that's what belief does for us. When we have belief in God and his redeeming blood and his sanctifying work in our life, that we can have this unlimited potential in our relationship that we have with our father in heaven. So belief means identifying your unbelief. And then the second idea is belief means identifying the will of the father. And we see this in Matthew seven twenty one, but also John first John four, verse one. Uh, what does that read? Let me read that for you. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or false prophets. So belief for a Christian can learn to discern uh, between two and false doctrine. We, we see that. We see that in John chapter nine. And that's the story of the blind man. How many remember that story? The story of the blind man where he's blind from birth. And what happens is, of course, Jesus, he works outside of the system and he touches the blind man and he begins to see. 
And then what happens is the Pharisees, they don't believe it. Why? Because Jesus is working outside of the system. And so they say, how can this be? This guy wasn't really blind. And so what do they do? They call for his parents, for his parents to show up. And then his parents show up, verify that he is blind from birth. But then the parents begin to distance themselves from the whole situation. Why? Because Jesus is working outside of the system. So the Pharisees' question is, 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 is unanswered in their minds. And so they chew this guy up, upside, one down, you know, upside, one side and down the other. And then what do they do? They throw him out of the synagogue. They throw the, the blind man, or can now see, out of the synagogue. So Jesus comes to ask, do you believe? He says to the blind man, do you believe? That, that again, is that underlying question that we witnessed there in the very first text. Do you believe? And the blind man responds in a certain way. And then Jesus says, in regards to who the Messiah is, he says, the one who is speaking to you. You see, that, that, that is I. I'm the one who, who's speaking to you. So the underlying issue here, again, is the fact that Jesus was asking him about his belief, about his belief. Does he really believe? I'm wondering this morning, what, what is it that you believe in? I mean, what is it that that, you know, without any question in your mind, this is something Hey, I, I believe in this. I believe that this is right. This is something that I, I need to do or that I shouldn't do. I wonder, what is it that you really believe in? You see, Jesus asks us to ask yourself, do we really believe in the Messiah? Do we really believe in Jesus Christ? Amen. Can you answer that question this morning? Do you really believe? Belief makes all the difference in the world when we talk about ministry and we talk about what God wants to do here at Mission Church of the Nazarene. I, I want to kind of just uh, close with a fun story. And the story is about a guy that's walking through the forest. And uh, he, he's an atheist and uh, he's uh, ag- agnostic, I guess. He's walking through the forest and he's just enjoying the forest and, and nature and creation and how evolution has just provided all of the beautiful animals and the trees and the rippling river that was next to him. And he's walking through the forest and then all of a sudden the, the shrub begins to shake behind him. And he turns around and what he notices is the seven foot tall grizzly bear leaps out of the brush and is chasing after the guy. And so this bear is just about to eat him. And for the very first time, the atheist yells out, he says, oh, God, please help me. At that moment, time stands still. And all of a sudden, the river stops flowing. And the birds stop singing. And the bear stops in midair like this. And then a light from heaven comes down and shines upon this atheist. And God says, are you to tell me, are you asking me to help you? You've not believed in me all of your life. And now at this moment, you want me to help you? And the atheist, he didn't know what to say. He said, well, God, you're right. It would kind of be hypocritical for me to, you know, say that I'm a Christian now and that I believe in you. And so the atheist is thinking, he says, well, can you at least make the bear a Christian? And so all of a sudden the river starts to flow. The birds begin to sing and and the bears back in animation and motion. And then all of a sudden God gave the bear language. The bear stops, puts his paws together and says, dear Lord, thank you for this food of which I'm about to partake. (laughs) Oh, I'm just having fun. But imagine what we can do if we get rid of our unbelief. If we begin to believe that God wants to do something 
in our church. And we believe that God wants to do something in our hearts and he wants to do something in your heart. Imagine what God could do if we absolutely, totally get rid of all of our unbelief so that we might believe that God can do anything. What did it say in our text? That nothing is impossible for that one who believes, for that one who believes. And maybe that's personal for you right now. Maybe, maybe this message is, you know, you're getting ready to go to school or you're getting ready to tackle some gigantic mountain. And you're saying, man, I need, I need to have a little bit more faith. Maybe it's about your own spiritual walk. But I also believe that it's about our church. That God wants us to have faith. He wants us to believe that he wants to do something right here at Mission Church of the Nazarene. And you're part of that, by the way. Whether you're a teenager, middle adult, senior adult, you're a part of that. God wants to do something at Mission Church of the Nazarene. I want to invite us to just stand together. Let's do that. Let's stand. And we're going to worship in just a moment. And we're going to have a response time. And I just want to invite you just to listen to the Lord as we have an opportunity to respond to him. And, uh, and I want to pray right now. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word. I, I thank you, Father, for giving us an opportunity today to just be reminded that, Lord, that you've called us to believe, to believe in you, Lord, and what you have taught us and your truths. And I pray, Father, as this Father did, that you would help us with our unbelief. I pray for the one that's been especially discouraged are distraught in life right now and they're just needing to be lifted. I pray that, Father, maybe even in this moment of response that that you would lift them, remind them of your goodness and your mercy. I thank you, Father, for that. I pray that, Father, that you would just touch that one young lady right now that is struggling and she's she's needing faith in her life. That young man, Lord, that's just facing a seemingly an unsurmountable mountain that you would give them faith and belief not in themselves but belief in you help us as a church father to have faith help us as a church to believe that god that we can we can be mobilized we can move we can do something for your glory lord in all aspects we can impact our community we can help those that are hurting those that are in need that we can share jesus with maybe a co-worker.